as a background. Um, I, I, I work in this small church. Um, it's called All Saints Clapham Park. It's a lovely little community church. You have about sort of 30 people were there this morning. Children, kind of older people, teenagers, we're all kind of in it together. There's this lovely kind of vibe in this church, and I've been working with them um, since last September. We've had kind of fun times with Easter egg hunts, sort of like foraging through bushes looking for Easter eggs. Um, I, my pa- face got painted like a fox for a fate, which was quite strange as the church leader. Um, and then I almost set a Christmas tree on light, actually, because we tried to light so many candles for the carol service. I got kind of overexcited and this led to that. But it's been a sort of like really exciting experience of seeing community in that place. And the, the one thing that really kind of like hit me more than anything else was a funeral that I took. There, there, there was a, fu- a funeral of a, a, a woman who had come to the church for many years. Um, and I led this funeral, and it was such a privilege to walk alongside that family, to walk alongside her children and her grandchildren um, in, in this day. And it, it, there were sort of some moments of slight uncertainty for me that we, we, we were at graveside at this point, and we were saying prayers as, as, the, uh, as she was being buried. And th- this lady out of the family came and gave to me this little um, sheet of paper, and on it, I suddenly realized were, were the words um, uh, to, to, to a hymn. And I was like, what am I going to do with this? So we're outside, it's February, it's cold, it's windy, and there's 60 people there. No amplification. I don't really sing. And um, all of a sudden, I realized I just had to go with this. So I, I was singing this weird solo with like my three kind of old lady backing singers to kind of this crowd of 60 people who didn't know the song. Um, so, you know, just completely out of my comfort zone. But um, there was something amazing in that thing. And on that day, something really struck me when I spoke to the son of the woman who had died. And as he spoke about his mother to me on the side, his eyes started to well up. There was this deep sadness. And he started to sort of cry. And then he's dabbing his eyes and he apologized profusely. I'm sorry, I I wish I, I was going to try and keep myself more together today. And in that moment, you suddenly realize that, that that's so wrong, that your mother has just died. I mean, if there's any sort of time for tears, that must be a time for tears, surely. And I, I guess this is what this talks about. So, so th- th- this is David writing a song after the death of Saul and Jonathan. He is helping us with grief. And this is what we're going to talk about today. I look at kind of our Western culture, our funerals, and we all come in and we wear black and we're smartly dressed and we walk in and we sit in lines in the pew very quietly. And then maybe one person comes up and says a few words and then we file out again. And, and then you contrast that idea to the, the Eastern kind of funeral wear. So you see on TV kind of coffins being carried through the streets, wailing, people really expressing emotion. And I'm not sure what, what, what is the best way. How are we supposed to express our emotion at loss? Here, David starts to help us with this. And that's what we're going to look through. But just a, a bit of background. So you've got, so this is the start of 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel is taken up with a search for a king. They, they, people of Israel wanted a king. And they got Saul. Saul was a big man. 
he was like any king, like should be, tall, strong. But you see, then he veered away from God. He lost the blessing, the anointing of God. And then David was brought up, and he was the king to be. And there's this moment. So David's been fighting a battle at one end of the country. Saul and Jonathan, Jonathan being um, uh, Saul's son, is at this end of the country. And David wins this huge battle, and he's joyful. And just then, he hears news that Saul and David have been killed. Isn't it funny, sort of in those moments where our life is right at the top, is sometimes just, just when we think everything is going right, we get hit sideways by news, that painful news of loss, of grief. And, and what does David do? Well, he, he brings us this, this amazing um, song, and it's called The Lament of the Bow, because Saul and Jonathan, that they, they were shot with bows, the bows of the Philistines. And how do we kind of look into that? I just want us to look at, first of all, you look at verse 19. In verse 19, it says, how the mighty have fallen. And this is a refrain that goes over and over again. And in it, David is sort of saying what this song is about. It is about the mighty, the people who were the greatest in the country, falling, perishing. And this lament, lament's an interesting word because we don't really talk about it. We don't really, that this isn't a word that comes into our everyday life, is it? But the word lament sort of means, it's translated from the word like, like how. But it's kind of a longer how. It's kind of like a how. How could that be? How could that happen? David's saying, how? How the mighty have fallen. How can this be? And it's this wonderful moment. This entire lament is all about how. It's not about the next stage, which is the sort of what should we do next. But he's in this how, this pain. And it's actually something in our society that we often will step over. It's something in our society that we often go straight to the fix. And we leave ourselves with this how going on underneath. This is not just in death. This is in like loss of relationships, broken homes. It's in loss of jobs. It's in loss of status. So many times in our life we'll experience pain and loss. And we'll be left with this how. And we jump straight to the cover-up. We jump straight to what to do next. We move on quickly before we really express that how before God. And I think in this, we see this lament. We see David giving God time to act. He's saying, sort of, I can't act by myself. I can't fix this situation. This situation is too terrible for me to fix. And he sits in this how. And he does go on, and there is hope. But he sits in the how. And I think that's very powerful. I think... Also, we see from this refrain, you see it's used at the start and the end of the song, but it's also used in one other place, and it's used to highlight the most important part, and to David, and it, I, it kind of draws out, when you read the commentaries, they all kind of say this, they, they, they say that it's this verse 26, so let's look at verse 26, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother, you were very dear to me. You see, 
this, this is Hebrew poetry, and the Hebrew, pro, Hebrew pro, poetry goes all the way through, and then it gets this point, and it suddenly stutters, and it falls out of Hebrew poetry. It's almost like he's kind of singing a song, and he chokes, or that kind of feeling when you're speaking, and then something just overcomes you. You know when you're very sad, and sort of maybe that sob gets in your throat. You can almost feel it in David's throat when he gets to the point where he talks about his friend, and Jonathan is a dear friend. If you read 1 Samuel, he's a dear friend who saved his life. He just chokes. He can't say it out loud. He finds it hard. And so often, I, I think, I'm not, not sure about you guys, but I, I remember when my grandma died. I, I remember that feeling kind of in the back of your throat that you couldn't quite control, that kind of sob that came every time you talked about her. I remember she, she, she was a lovely woman. She, she loved In Christ Alone. She used to call it modern music, and I kept trying to explain to her, Grandma, it's not modern music. It's quite old already, but it was modern music, and she loved it, and she, she had it played at her funeral because she, she'd asked for it, and Basically, then that song, whenever I heard that song, in Christ alone, you know, I would just well up for about like two years afterwards. And the problem was back then, that was when in Christ alone was being played like every other church service, which was just terrible for me. So I was in tears, floods of tears, every church service. But something inside of you kind of acts in a completely illogical way when you are trapped in that grief. And I think it's kind of, it's shock, really. I think David here has shock. That there's that pain. And, and I mean, shock is, it kind of works just like if you fall over and you bang your knee and a bruise comes up. You, shock works in the same way. It's almost like it comes up as a protective layer. It's kind of a little bit like it doesn't work. You can't really explain this. But it's there when emotional pain happens. And it's important to kind of accept that it's there. And, I mean, that then causes other things. It, it causes, I mean, you see David. David is using all kinds of words. He's using poetry. He talks about gazelles slain on heights. He's talking about kind of they were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. He's reaching outside himself to express himself. Out of the shock, he can't quite grab the words to explain. Just imagine, like, a friend of yours has broken up with like their, their boyfriend and they come to you and they, they say, uh, Jeff has just left me. He um, is now going to spend more time with um, Charlotte. Uh, they are now an item. I am very hurt inside. You, you know, you, you don't describe it like that. You say, you say, my heart has been ripped in two. I've been stabbed in the back. I don't know if I'll ever kind of get over this. You know that kind of over-the-top language. I mean, this is what David's doing here. He can't quite sum up in words what he wants to say. And I think in, in, in sadness, in grief, we've probably all experienced that of not quite getting, not quite being able to grasp hold of what we want to say. And I mean, I, I think... This song, so David is writing a song not just for himself but for the nation, the nation around him. So to help them channel this grief. And I, I mean, I'm not sure about you, but so often in times of grief, you find songs that help you. I, I remember when I was 16 um, and, and my, my girlfriend dumped me and my first girlfriend. It was heartbreaking. And, and it was Enrique Iglesias, hero, that really got me through that time. I, I'm sure you all have like, songs like that that really helped you in, uh, in hard times in your life. But 
yeah, this is what David's doing here. I mean, we, we see that in that passage. And I mean, the last thing just to say is with lament, it sort of just doesn't have a solution. So often when we're in that pain, we're looking for that silver bullet to get us out. But it is that sitting in it. It's the how can this be? And it is an important stage to go through, just like a bruise on your leg is important just to let it go. You don't put too much weight on it and things. You rest it and come through it in time. But, so lament's important. But uh, David kind of shows why it's important. I'm just going to go through a few of those things. First of all, he names what the problem is. So often, we might not say what is wrong, I'm not just talking about sort of death of family members or breaking up of governments. There's lots of things in our lives that aren't great, things that go wrong. And so often we will hold them inside. We'll say that that's too small a thing for us to be worried about. We'll say that's not something we need to tell anyone. We're just going to keep that. But it's important to name it, I think, is what you see in this passage, whether it's big or small. Um, I heard a quote, and it about this, it is said that the root of lamentation, kind of the root meaning of it, it's naming and exposing the thing in our lives that stops us from thriving. What is that thing in your life that stops you from thriving, stops you from being the child of God you are meant to be? Because it's important to be able to name that, name that to God and name it to people around us. And this is what we see um, here in, uh, with David. He says in verse 18, he ordered the people of Judah to be taught the lament of the bow. He tells everyone about his grief, about his pain. It, it's one of the wonderful things about being part of this small church, this All, all Saints church, with like 30 people. Everyone knows what's going on with everyone else. People know if you're suffering. People know if you're going through something. And they pray together, and it's just a wonderful thing to see. Um, and us too, sort of at Holy Trinity, we have our connect groups uh, where we pray and we lament with each other. In London, though, this can be a big problem. It's such an isolating city at times. Often, you kind of you have your flats, your flat shares. You kind of places where like you don't know the neighbours, you don't know people around, you don't have the community maybe you grew up with once, and we can get very isolated. And I think this lament shows us that in these hard times, we draw in community. And I think that's important to think about who do we lament with? Who do we take our grief to and process our grief with? And also, are we helping other people process their grief as well? You see, what, what does David really want? He's in shock. He's in pain. What does he really want out of this kind of lament? He says in verse 24, daughters of Israel, weep for Saul. He, he wants that sort of acknowledgement. He wants that, 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 that sadness that he feels to be acknowledged by others. And so often when we're in pain, actually, the best thing our friends can do is to acknowledge that this isn't right. That is not the way it was supposed to be. That this is such a hard thing. And to come alongside us and grieve with us. One of the best examples in Scripture of this is Jesus Christ himself in the story of Lazarus. Um, 
so Lazarus has just died. And it says in John uh, chapter 11, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, um, that's Martha, uh, Lazarus' sister, saw her weeping. And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Incidentally, that's the only verse in the Bible that I I, I regularly can actually always remember. Jesus wept. Smallest verse in the Bible. Really good one to remember as well. Because it actually tells us something wonderful. That Jesus wept with these people. He was just about to bring Lazarus back to de- back from the death, uh, from the death, from the grave. But he wept with this family. He saw the family suffering, finding it so hard, and he saw the injustice in it, the injustice in the world, and he wept. He was sad, and the same thing is true for us in our struggles. Jesus sees the injustices, the troubles in our lives, and he weeps for us. And I think this kind of, this grieving kind of God, this God who sees our troubles and grieves over them is such a powerful thing to hold on to in our grief. But I think there's more in this story. Uh, This has been wonderful. Quite a lot of this has been very helpful for us when we're going through these hard times. It kind of helps us get through these. But there's a greater reality behind these verses. This is about a corporate lament. It's not just about a personal lament. It's about a corporate lament. About David seeing the world and saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. So he says, verse 21, May no showers fall on your terrace fields. He's saying, Kind of in a land of agriculture, he's saying, there's going to be no rain. There's going to be no rain on the fields. This is going to mean disaster for this population. He's, he's sort of saying, without this blessing, which is stopping the blessing of rain, that we will have disaster. The world is not the way it should be. And David sees kind of the depth of the problem, the problem behind the problem. Granted, Saul and Jonathan, the leaders of the country, had just died. But he sees the problem behind that. He sees a nation veering away from God. A people separating themselves from their heavenly father. And the fact, the blessing from being with God stopping. I mean, this summer, here, we also see a broken world, don't we? We see kind of a time of real suffering. I mean, so close to home. We see the world's not the way it should be. We see terrorist attacks. We see see people thinking about launching nuclear missiles. We, we, We see Grenfell Tower, which is a great sort of example of this kind of like pain and suffering that's going on right under the surface. And so much of our society is built up around protecting us sort of like almost masking over the problem, it seemed. And then something like Grenfell Tower happens, and we suddenly see what's going on in our society. We see the poverty people live in. We see kind of how some people are elevated over others in our society. There is a great problem in our world. And the real problem under it all is 
that we think we can fix it all ourselves. We have these amazing technological advances, medicine, technology, all this stuff, and it's great and it's wonderful, but that kind of makes us think that we can run the world ourselves, that we can solve the problems of the world ourselves. Yet throughout history, there's still just as much suffering, there's just as much pain, and there's so much things going wrong, even as we advance in other ways. And the Bible explains this with the story of the fall, the idea of a fallen world, the idea that Adam and Eve reached out to live a life without God. And as they reached out for that, that they separated themselves from God. And you have the fall where God and mankind are separated. And consequently, in our society, we're left in this place. And if you read the start of Romans, it explains this really well. This almost downward spiral of how we keep thinking we can do it ourselves. We can work it out ourselves. We can work out all these problems that we've got in our lives ourselves. But by doing it, we work ourselves further and further away from God. What David does in this lament he sees the problem. David is a man after God's own heart, and he sees the problems in his society. And I want us to be a people of lament, people who see the problems in our own society, people who see the problems in our own lives, people who see kind of this, this constant spiral away from God, people who Wait in the how could it be like this and wait for God to act. You see, we must be a people of lament. And this doesn't mean kind of a, a sitting there listening to sad country songs, drinking whiskey kind of lament where you're just kind of moping. This hopeful, this holy lament is a hopeful thing, a thing that looks to Jesus Because you see, Jesus was a man of lament himself. He saw the problems in society and he went straight towards them. He saw the problems in his society and he exposed them. He brought them to the fore. He then went to the cross, taking on the sin and the shame. Taking on the pain. He became, in the ultimate lament, he died on the cross, exposing the wickedness of all humanity of all times in one point and conquered it. Jesus is a powerful example of that, that actually through his rising again, we can see that he defeated death, that we could see that he rose over it and that there is a way out of this lament, out of this sadness. I think Tim Keller does this amazing quote, and he says, you've probably heard it before, uh, he says, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You see, lament is essential for us to see the depth of our brokenness the depth of our sin, how far that we've pushed ourselves, ourselves and our society have pushed ourselves away from God. But also the wonder of lament is in lament, in seeing that depth, you can see the height of God 
And like with Paul in Romans, you can say that you are convinced that neither life nor death nor angels or demons or height or depth or anything in the whole of creation can separate us from this love of God. Because you suddenly see that we need a savior, that we need someone to save us. And we see the love of God that comes to save us even when we are in the depths. So I want to challenge you. Are you a person who laments? Are you a person who looks at the news and thinks, wow, that is not the way it's supposed to be? Because lament drives us into prayer. Lament drives us into conversation with God, pleading to God for this world. And that's what we need. We need a church of people who will plead to God for the brokenness of our creation, but also plead to God for the brokenness in our own lives.